you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. We'll meet you at Huckapoo's. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and the great Colleen Wolf. Well, gang. Who disturbs my slumber? (laughs) Here we are. Uh, Here we are now, uh, I guess, what are we, about 10 days out from Super Bowl Sunday and also the last time you heard from us. Uh, Of course, that was under extremely trying circumstances in the the wake of uh, Wes's passing. And uh, we all took some time, obviously, to digest... Everything that had happened, and um, I, for one, um, I'm feeling better uh, having that time away from the mic and everything. Uh, and now uh, here we are again, Greg, uh, doing doing our show because that's what we do. Even if uh, you know, without Wes, it's never going to be uh, quite the same ever again. No, it won't. But it is what we do. I feel it was what we do did during Super Bowl week, you know, there's like that expression tweeting, you know, tweeting through it. It's like we were podcasting through it. So that was a lot. Um, that was obviously the toughest week we, we've ever had as a podcast. Um, but we appreciate everyone reaching out about what that that West pod uh, meant to them, because it was definitely, you know, for the listeners, too, because we know you guys are hurting um, that that we're listening. And it's like we're all we're all going through it together. It's all different. But there's no what Mark you said this. There's no roadmap for this, so we're we're figuring it out as we go. And it's good to have uh, it's good to have Connie Fox, a uh, member of the family, with us today too. It's good to be here. It's been really weird these last two weeks. I um, asked who disturbed my slumber because I've just been sleeping a lot um, <laughs> and taking nature walks. <laughs> so it's a good, uh, good good solution. I like it. Yeah, it's a Super Bowl was super weird and um, it doesn't even feel like it really happened, to be honest. Like even even thinking about like those the Saturday and the Sunday in Tampa were just like such a surreal blur. And I feel like they were probably it was like probably the hardest weekend maybe of like maybe of my life, definitely of my career like it. And they both coincided they both like just kind of overlapped so much so it's been it's been really weird but um here at listening to the podcast that you guys did it took me a couple days so I wasn't sure if I wanted to even do it or if I could really do it or what it was going to be like but so many of the listeners talked about how great it was and how it was just so nice to hear you guys talk about Wes and and when I listened it was so comforting and it was honestly exactly what I needed I laughed I cried I was like when when Sessler was 
talking about the Eye and Eagle story. It just like there are so <laughs> many things. The the real punches when he punched some Walt in the stomach. I mean, there there were just so many memories that came rushing back that made me laugh and smile. And it was it was really great. I mean, in Wes's memory, it should be said that it was Mark that was punching people, not Wes. <laughs> Well, and a, right, according right, to right. Zumwalt, was a pacifist. I, yeah, according to Zumwalt, who chimed in later, I punched him in the face, not the stomach, which is uh, um, problematic. But I, but I would, re- I would say also, Connie, like um, for you to say what you did um, that morning before the game. I mean, I know that was incredibly challenging. I think that we were all, um, from a professional covering football angle, um, stretched. I don't know what the word is that day to do something that I don't think that we knew we could we could do going in but um in the days since like i've i've i I, we all have to do it differently and i i'm closer to the nature walks um not that i've taken a lot but i've just spent it in deep isolation a lot and thinking so much about west but kind of feeling um these like energy pulses of his friendship and these memories and just going through old podcasts and like they brought me some comfort and i i know also that this isn't just about us um there's such a community attached to this that it's been a completely different experience for all of us i think than any sort of loss we've suffered of a person a close friend and so um i you're right greg i don't know what the roadmap is i mean there certainly isn't one but i do feel that it feels right to get back together and continue to do what it is that we've done since the minute we were all together with wes yeah and you and you nailed it there with the word community and you know, Wes passed away Friday afternoon um, before the Super Bowl, which was extraordinary in terms of, you know, the timing of it, um, obviously. And we wrestled with whether or not to do any type of show on Sunday night before landing on doing, you know, just a, a conversation essentially about Wes. And a, a big part of that, the the reasoning, as hard as it was, and it was not necessarily something that we uh, felt like we wanted to do, but there was this community that's built up over um, seven years of podcasting. Uh, people who, and we've heard it, and it's really an honor. Um, it's not a humble brag, but we've heard it from thousands of people, both uh, on social media and when we've gone to different live shows, whether it's here in the States or over in London, how people said that they view us as friends, that we're like people that they relate to, and it's and that's part of the reason why they like the show. So, we knew when the news was going to go out there that Wes was gone, that um, it didn't feel right to leave uh, you, the listeners, hanging. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, for me, this whole this past week and a half is and that's awesome. Um, listening to old shows and watching old shows, Mark, I, I guess I'm, I'm not there yet. Like I, I it's just that, I think that's part of processing for me, like that he's not here anymore is watching him and. And I think I, I'd like to get to that point, and I'm sure I will. We're, we'll be able to listen and watch the shows of us all together. And, Mark, you texted right before we started. Like, one of the things that's gone from the show forever is his laugh. Like, Wes's laugh was infectious, and it was part of, like, the soundtrack of, of this show um, and the energy of this show. So I, it's it's hard for me to, like, get to that point to hear him again, but I will because that's what we do have. That's what's left behind these hundreds and hundreds of hours of us together and to me like so much was taken from Wes um cruelly and dying as young as he did and for me the number one thing that hit me personally is being a father was taken from him uh to Link and and being able to raise Link with Lakeisha and um for me 
I kind of just disappeared off social media from texting, phone calls, and just spent a lot of time with my family and my boys, Jack and Harrison. And, and I did feel closer to them because I know what I get to have and what we all get to have. Um, um, Mark and Greg is, is that bond. And that was, was denied West, which was just so unfair. And I feel like that to me helped being around the boys. And we went up to big bear mountain this weekend with my friend, Bob and his family. And that was, and that was nice. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at personally. There is this one thing that we've each sort of pointed out, and I think we all realized it in different ways, that um, Link does have one special thing, and we'll, we'll go through the machinations to make sure all of these episodes um, remain there indelibly. But, you know, I, I can think of people that have lost a parent, and you don't have much more than a couple photographs or um, maybe, you know, leftover voicemails. But Link will have no question about the personality of his father mm-hmm. because it's not just his takes on football. I mean, when I think about our show, it's like Wes going absolutely off on Subject X um, or like the video we saw of him, you know, uh, unfurling like a 45-minute rant on the size of, of um, paper towels. I mean, these things are out there <laughs> and there's going to just be like a lot in time for Link to dig into and realize how special his dad was. It's so nice that we that we have link selfishly because it's like a link to Wes um, and I, Greg came over uh, a few days ago sat basically in this tree that's behind me uh, and and we we talked about you know just just Wes and and how just how much he meant to so many people in so many different ways and and for me last week it, it was just reading through all of the listeners' comments on things because I didn't really get a chance to to kind of process any of it when I was in Tampa. It was like deep compartmentalizing everything. Um, and then once I got home, I kind of just like poured through every single comment of and of anything I could find. I was going through deep rabbit holes on all of your social, on all of my social, like every anything that I could find because like in that moment it just brought me so much comfort and I do I there were a lot of people that um responded to what I had to say on Super Bowl Sunday with well I don't know why she had to go rogue or why like you know it was off script why they wouldn't give her the opportunity to talk about Wes and I, I feel like I should say that like, they did, and they they wanted me to say something about Wes, and they asked me that morning on Super Bowl Sunday, and as soon as they asked me, I was like, "There's, there's no way I can even imagine figuring out how to put any of this into words, how to articulate like what Wes meant to us, just personally at the network in general, and then at, all day that whole day when I was doing the show, I kept thinking, all right. I'm going to do it. Let me do it. And then I would start thinking about Wes, and I would immediately start welling up and crying. And I'm like, okay, not doing it. Not going to do it. It's not <laughs> happening. And I was literally deciding up until, like, seconds before I did it. And it it was – I feel like it was one of those moments where I just completely blacked out, and I wasn't sure if I made complete sentences or what. And then, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm like, I can't believe I didn't take more time and say more about him because – like he was just such an amazing special person and go i i even you know as part of my uh i guess grieving process i of course started going through old text messages and 
like the one thing that really there was a bunch of things that really like stood out to me um how many times Wes would text me to say like how proud he was of me okay now I'm crying I don't want to cry I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna do it Hmm. but he was always just like so supportive and that was the thing like when I was listening to the podcast and when Mark you were talking about how it was like so incredible when you would get uh, approval from Wes on football stuff. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, I feel so seen because when I first came to the network, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, like, swimming, and I had no friends. And you guys were my first friends when I came to L.A. And I remember just trying to find my way. And the few time, the first few times when I would do any of these segments or, or you know, NFL Now, when it was NFL Now or this – podcast with Wes and he would agree with me it was like my confidence just grew so much and I was like oh my god yes you know what I can do this and I will go say this exact same thing to someone else and feel good about it because Wes thinks it was right and so the stamp of approval yep yes and it was so (laughs) huge so that was like that was the one thing that the one of the things that really um jumped out at me and and when he would he would just text me randomly like after a Thursday night show and be like, I'm so proud of you. Look at what you're doing. Like he was just always just so present and and never just like letting things pass him by. He never took anything for granted. And he always, I think, wanted to keep everything in perspective for the people that he loved too. And then the other thing that I noticed from going through texts with him was how many times – now. There were a lot of times that I came and hang out, and we all hung out a lot, and we still do. But how many times I said, no, I can't, I got to prep for a show, or I got to prep for draft, or like some meaningless thing that I was doing. And I have now kind of, I'm trying to take inventory on that and trying to create like a better work-life balance. And you guys are work, but you're also life. And so I'm I'm trying to see if I can, like, maybe have some type of better balance where, yeah, I say, you know what, I'm not going to prep for, like, seven weeks for one show and, like, I'll come out and hang out with you guys because that is, like, really the most important thing or creating those moments. And we're so lucky to have so many of them with Wes. I like I like the idea of your, your infamous prep binder coming to life, growing arms and legs and attacking you for saying that. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because one of my first memories with Wes was when we uh, we traveled to, it was the draft in Chicago, and I had an entire carry-on suitcase filled with binders. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing with all of this? And I was like, I don't know, I just need to have all of the information at my fingertips. And I remember he was like, leave one behind. And I was like, really? You think so? And he's like, you're not going to need it. And so I was like, okay. So we picked the heaviest one and took my name out of the front because our research department like puts your name yeah. and like, NFL media in the front. So I just like I took my name out of the front and then just left it at the gate at the airport and one of like the seats. And that was me and Wes just laughed so hard about that. Wow. Mm. Uh, so yeah. Sorry, I cut you off, Greg. I don't no, know what you were gonna say. <laughs> I, I don't either. At this point, I loved listening to you. It is, yeah. I know we're gonna get to football quickly, and like, there's no, like, no great, you know, transition for that. But Wes is gonna be like part of this show, and that that's sort of that has sort of helped me. I I really struggled, and you know, when we did that podcast, even even now, it's like 
I'm selfish. Like I think of those times, you know, hanging out with Wes. That's what I what I think of of Wes. And to me, that's like private, and that's almost like so precious to me um, that it's that it's hard to to share like with a mic uh, in in front of your face. Um, but that's like the opposite of how Wes would feel. Wes Wes would be like, <laughs> you know, there is no difference. He's a hundred percent himself all the time I, I try to be that way and like he he would want to share it all with the listeners and, and he did there was no like there was no bs um to that so i think that's like a good a good thing that that i think about and and you did hit me there uh um dan talking about link i do know uh i do know how much he he did appreciate like the time he did have with link though too i i saw him more than anyone um I mean, in, in my life uh, over this pandemic and got to see him a lot with Lincoln, man, he really, he did appreciate the time he had with him, which meant a lot. Yeah, I remember having conversations with him when Lakeisha was pregnant about fatherhood and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he did get the, the time that he did have. Um, and yes, we are a football podcast. So, and we've been dark and, and again, the timing of when this all went down, you know, in fact, we didn't talk about the Super Bowl, <laughs> so we're gonna uh, we're gonna do some news today and and uh, just kind of download everything that's happened. And I think Connie, you and I were texting back and forth this morning. Um, <laughs> like you're the same, I'm the same as you, and I I think it might be everybody. In addition to kind of going dark over the last week and a half, I wasn't exactly like pound and refresh on NFL.com. And um, and and the like, uh, just seeing what was going on in the NFL. So when I was going through things this morning, I was like, "Ooh, oh wow!" Like hamina, 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 arriba! Like I, a lot of stuff. I uh, I I gave myself a present and literally, you know, closed down Twitter except for my tennis burner account. That was my self care. So like great. my tennis burner account still was tracking the Aussie Open. Did not see anything else uh, until we got. Back. Greg is a very big um, Jess Pagula fan. Greg, did you turn off the uh, <laughs> ne- NFL network at your house, though? That would be the real test. No. The Twitter is a whole different story. It was ne- oh. We had no football, no nothing on the All right, on I'm the glad team. to hear that. Yes, Jess Pagula, the daughter of the Pagulas that own the Bills, made it to the quarterfinals of the Aussie Open. Look at me, Greg, all plugged in. That's Whoa. Good. I didn't she, even know that. She's and a riser. There was that one she's guy good. with the name that I can't really pronounce pounded his racket so hard into the ground. That he damaged the ground and broke his racket. He's the same guy that hit the lady with the tennis ball at the U.S. Open and got disqualified. What's that dude's deal, Greg? Seems jo- like a great guy. Djokovic? Djokovic, yeah. What's up with him? Oh. Well, I like Give Djokovic. us some Courts of Thunder uh, analysis here before we get into NFL talk. Well, we, you know, I'm wearing my Naomi Osaka sweatshirt today in honor of what's my Super Bowl tonight, Serena Osaka. It's in prime time on the West wow. Coast. I mean, it doesn't you. doesn't get much better than that. Look at you. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to, Greg. And yes, let's get before we get to the news. Let's let's share some uh, a mini seg uh, that I'd like to call justifiably tardy Super Bowl takeaways. <laughs> the Chiefs get their doors blown off by the Bucks. Um, I think it was thirty eight nine, something like that. Um, and uh, just curious what you guys thought. I, like you guys kind of watched the game in a haze, um, but definitely it, it was memorable for obvious reasons. Uh, um, Greg, what was your kind of, uh, you have a, a kind of a above the treetops takeaway to use some corpo jargon? 
I do, but first I'm going to go with like the smallest takeaway possible, which is that like the Bulls of Sans was coming. You know, it started with the four of us uh, doing the podcast at Wes's during week one of uh, Bucks or no, what was it? You know, Bucks Packers back in 2019, and now Bucks, Bulls, Bucks Panthers, I believe. Bucks Panthers, straight to the top. Um, but now my my bigger point was what a bummer it was for Andy Reid that, it, and this is a, a sad way to, to think about the Super Bowl. But the fact that his son, who is now no longer with the team, was suspended and then ultimately fired. Um, because of this tragic accident that involved drinking uh, two nights before the Super Bowl. Um, and it's going to be part of what I think, you know, I'm not saying like that decides the game or not, but it it certainly ruined Andy Reid's Super Bowl. I mean, he's going to be looking back on this, and he's he's a guy, as you know, Colleen, and our listeners probably do too, that's had a lot of family tragedy with his son that's been very tied into, with his sons that's been tied into his, his teams because they they've worked for him. And I just love Andy Reid, and I think so many players of his do too. And for this to happen two nights before the Super Bowl, where you have Patrick Mahomes in his prime, and you get the doors blown off you, as he said, 38-9, to and that Reid had a terrible game, you know, choosing to go for the field goal right before halftime, and then taking some of the most bizarre timeouts I've ever seen when the Bucks just wanted to get to the half, uh, only up one score, and Andy Reid is taking timeouts because he's got faith in his defense on third and short, and they go and score a touchdown. That was like game over to me. Uh, he had no answers for what Bowles was doing. That everything possible that could have gone poorly from Reid's perspective, uh, I think, did, and that and that and that is unfortunate because I think he's one of the all-time greats. But now this is. You know, a couple a couple Super Bowls, but especially this one really stands out as as something that he's going to have to wear and and that he'll he'll try to recover from. Yeah, I was really surprised that we didn't talk about it more. Um, and granted, like I was in a daze um, pretty much Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I I didn't. I, I thought it was kind of odd that we didn't talk more about Andy Reid and the distraction that this was because it was that's his son so and he was a coach on the team. Do. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and so many times we're like, "Oh, is this going is Juju a distraction for dancing on the logo?" I mean, just dumb stuff that we decide is maybe a distraction. Um, that is a huge distraction that is super serious before the biggest game of the year and it's the head coach's son. So I think that, that that played a massive role in the outcome of the game. And I was also just so shocked at how many penalties, uh, just, just the penalties in the first half that the Chiefs took. There were just so many, and they just kept – it just like wasn't there – wasn't the way that they play ever. And it just seemed like, you know, they had – I think they had like eight different penalties maybe in the first half. They but did. That – it was just – it was so uncharacteristic of them to play that they way. They were so bad. Just, they were yeah, so bad. Like to just every, get dominated like that. So it bad. Didn't make any, it didn't make any sense, um, you know, that they a team that had been a proven champion, reigning Super Bowl champion, that had every chance when they faced adversity um, over the past two off, two postseasons, they always stepped up. And then this game, they get punched in the mouth. They get punched in the mouth again. They get punched in the mouth again. Then they get an uppercut. Then a body blow. And then they're on the canvas, and they just don't get up. And it's like, wait, what happened here uh, with this team? Mark, what's your takeaway? Well, I, I think that, you know, in general, covering football, 
a blind spot for the vast majority of people that didn't play, and I don't really worry about that dynamic generally, is a lack of understanding of offensive line. And I, I think that there, you know, with two weeks percolating to discuss this game, we knew that the Chiefs had injuries along the offensive line. But losing Eric Fisher, one of the more maligned first-round picks during our time at the NFL, um, I think really um, impacted this in, in incredible ways. I mean, their offensive line was dominated. To your point, Greg, Todd Bowles, um, I thought was doing incredible things all game long to make life really tough on everyone. Um, Tyreek Hill had, like, what, 16 yards at half or whatever. It was a non-factor. And we wondered how can you possibly slow this offense. And it turned out, to your point on the penalties, there was that one drive that I thought the game seemed over. At this point, Mahomes had – he was 4 for 13 for 36 yards. And their defense gave up incredibly um, – I thought incredibly uh, costly holding penalties. The first one in 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 this one drive wiped out a honey badger tipped ball interception. The second one turned a Ryan Suckup 40-yard field goal. It converted into a first down, and they marched down the field and throw a touchdown to Rob Gronkowski that also had a holding penalty on that play. I mean, the defense was coming apart at the seams, and we trust Andy Reid and the Chiefs and – their highfalutin, you know, staff to make adjustments at halftime. And if I told you that their second half for the Chiefs would have been a field goal, an interception, um, a drive that ended on downs on the Tampa Bay 11, another drive that ended at downs at the Tampa Bay 27, and then a Patrick Mahomes interception to end their season. Um, uh, how many people saw that coming? I, I think the level of beatdown, it has to be considered somewhat shocking. The Tampa Bay defense, that was a... Uh, Super Bowl history-wise, a performance you're always going to remember. Just the dominance of it and who it came against. And, you know, my point, I think Jason liked the the GM and the powers that be um, in Tampa. But since the GM is usually the face of these things, one of the great heaters I can ever remember over the past calendar year um, that the Bucs went on um, in terms of team building that culminated with the Super Bowl win. And I looked at, I, w- I went and found an article before the season started just to get a better idea of who came and who went entering this season. And of course, Tom Brady was the big import and it played out um, incredibly well where he had another big season, way better than his last couple of years in uh, New England and then uh, all through the playoffs. Um, but, you know, that was just part of it. Uh, they added... Uh, Gronk, who was an important part of the team, not the same guy he used to be, but clearly that was a nice pickup. Uh, re-signings that he made, JPP, uh, ta- tagging Shaq Bar- Barrett, so keeping those guys in the building, bringing back Indominus Sue, that was a big move. Um, the draft picks, Tristan Wirfs, like you said, uh, uh, that All addition, pro. he pro was an absolute stud. Uh, this year, Antoine Winfield Jr., the safety. That guy was um, at a high level in their secondary. And then who did they let go? Jameis Winston. It's Now we, we laugh at it, but I'll, I'll, I've said it on this pod, and I'll say it again. With two games to play, they the Bucks in the 2019 season, they had a Saturday afternoon game in Week 16. And the report out there by the insiders is that because Jameis Winston had been playing better that they were probably going to move forward with Jameis Winston in 2020 and beyond, and beyond. He bombs out the last two weeks and then that was what I guess their their brain trust, if that indeed was the uh, case, needed. They say goodbye to Jameis Winston. 
uh, Carl Nassib, Peyton Barber, Sam Acho, Darian Stewart, DeMar Dotson. Although, just say goodbye to those guys. And everything hit and worked, and it does tell you, and I, I think from the other teams looking at this, sometimes you are just a couple players away uh, because mm-hmm. the Bucks went from eternal also ran over the last several years to Super Bowl champion. And yes, you could say, oh, they got Tom Brady. That's why they're champion. Uh, in some ways, that's true. But in general, this this front office deserves a ton of credit for just hitting on just about everything and now having a Lombardi trophy to go I for. would say that front office struggled for a long time beforehand. Yeah. But you're right. But it's, it's an argument for patience um, at the GM spot, potentially. But Tom Brady also, I mean, the one thing is, and I mentioned this on Sky, if I can even remember if this is what I said, but just the idea that you put Tom Brady in isolation for 14 days, no distractions to get his mind right and pull the lever on what would be an incredible first half. And everyone, you know, how many people tweeting about the fact that Tom Brady had not scored more than three touchdown, three points in any opening quarter? Right away, he said, I'm going to take that narrative and shred it into a million pieces. Um, he is different than other quarterbacks. He is like a burning sun. And I think the entire team, when he mm. came in there, um, just said we are going to revolve around him. Like there is no question who our leader is. It's Bruce Arians, but it's not Bruce Arians compared to Tom Brady. I mean, he changed everything. And it, I mean, I'll just, I feel lucky that we are able to have watched his entire career up to this point. But I will say that I have literally no memory of that Super Bowl other than the first Gronk touchdown. So I need to go rewatch <laughs> aspects Same. of it beyond my notes, you know? But, like, I, the Winston thing, it feels like a no-brainer in retrospect. The Brady thing, in retrospect, seems like a no-brainer. But it really wasn't. Only like, one other team wanted him, and he right, only got $25 million a year. He didn't get any more than Philip right, Rivers Right, this was not the Peyton instance. Manning sweepstakes of 2013 where he's going on helicopters and visiting half the league and everybody's falling over. Like, there was a general belief, and I think I shared it and a lot of other people did, that Brady probably, even though he would be an upgrade over Jameis Winston, would probably be kind of like a high-level or the top-level name brand, uh, maybe like a, a – at this point, age 43, better than game manager, uh, maybe like on the right side of the Dalton scale, but not necessarily the elite but guy. Gradual was. decline, as, yeah. it's, yeah. as it's been stated. And he was, he was in a gradual decline, and then it just stopped. And it, it's a reminder also, you surround these older quarterbacks with a great supporting cast. They can come out of that gradual decline if they could still move and throw the ball, which Brady showed he could. Right, even, even guys like Leonard Fournette too. By the way, who Leonard Fournette's had, another one. Antonio like, Brown is another yes, one. Yes, exactly. I mean, but, but for specifically for Fournette, I feel like he was in Jags purgatory for so long, and then just kind of got this really bad rap. You know, he got ejected from that game for throwing for throwing real punches, um, and then you know <laughs> he he just I think he got a bad rap for just. Also being, you know, just a power runner and not a guy who can catch passes. Maybe a guy who's not like a team guy. Maybe a guy that has like a little bit of an attitude problem. And all of that is like when we heard about him coming out and saying he was crying on the phone with his parents just about the journey that he's been on and how happy he is that he landed where he where he is now in Tampa and the fact that he was able to go on and win a Super Bowl. Like it's just it's such a great story of how narratives can turn so quickly. That did make me think of Wes that day because Wes. I thought hilariously and correctly <laughs> at a previous time when Fournette wasn't thriving. I think he called him like the SS Fournette for his inability, to, like a huge ship <laughs> to kind of change direction. But that right. was that was accurate when he uttered those. Playoff words. Yeah. Lenny is different, though. You know, playoff Lenny is different than the Lenny you you know 
Who was such a bomb in Jacksonville? Lombardi Lenny. Now they ran great. I mean, like a lot of Tom Brady Super Bowls, it's no, it's no uh, slight to him. He got a great defensive performance. They ran great. He didn't have to do much. I heard a, like a little chatter, almost like Brady didn't play. Like Brady was a little up and down in the playoffs, which I think is is fair. But I think it sort of was lost that he was a top ten quarterback in the season. Like he was, right. he was much better in the regular season than I think people that didn't watch him each, you know, every week. Uh, gave him credit for. He was a top 10 quarterback then, and, and they were a great team. And Shaq Barrett, you know, finally just, if he needed to stick it to Mark one more time, he did it. 10 pressures. I mean, I've given up that one at this point. But, I mean, also you couldn't script the quarterbacks and the icons that Brady mowed down to get to that Super Bowl. I mean, it's sure. like you could, you never could have. And I think that they were lucky Heineke, for that bye week you know. happening when it did late in the year. They never lost after that. And they talked about readjusting and a lot of that is like Bruce Arians Leonard Fournette wanted to leave the team and Bruce Arians basically said to him you decide who you are and what you want to be and he and I think that's the leadership of Bruce Arians too mm-hmm. we uh we bombed our sandwich props I'm just checking it out now Mark oh. Sessler <laughs> shocker the weekend creates controversy that's discussed on CNN uh it was fine the show was fine but it was it was tepid anybody know I know there was the theme was there all men everywhere on the stage and the dancers and everything there were no women Huh. I wonder what that was about. Really? Yep. Uh, Greg Rosenthal, JPP, has at least two sacks. Uh, Dan Gronk catches a fourth quarter or OT touchdown that gives Bucks the lead or ties the score. He Got did have two specific. touchdowns. I mean, you two Got both sort of had your hand on the pulse there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we, cl- we were in the right church wrong yeah. pew. Yeah, Dan, I, you I, violated I your own rule of being too specific. I know. I know. I just wanted to hang. I wanted to hang. No, like I hung onions on this one because I, I just called Mahomes MVP last year, and I felt that was mm. too safe. So I was just like trying to balance things out. Uh, Kyle Brandt, who's on that show, said Scotty Miller will score a 40-yard touchdown uh, while throwing up deuces to mock uh, Tyreek Hill. And that was also right church, wrong pew, because Antoine Winfield yeah. uh, Jr. Uh, mocked uh, with some deuces at the end of that game and got a penalty for it. And Ricky had Chad Henney throwing a, a pass, and that didn't happen. So, Bingo. A big old zero burger for uh, or nothing burger, whatever the people say, uh, for the pod. All right. Those are justifiably tardy Super Bowl takeaways. Good for the Bucks, though. Good for Brady. I enjoyed it. Greg secretly was dying. He hated it. What are you talking about? I was rooting them on all year. (laughs) I know. You're just telling me. It's just a bit, Greg. You're meant to kind of respond. You have to share him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their fans. Hey, look, they're one of the few teams, not much salary cap issues, no one that they need to cut in particular. I mean, it's tough to repeat, but they they will be right there next year. There's no reason why they should. You've got to bring Shady McCoy back. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. Two rings. Two rings. Uh, The ultimate rings guy. Two rings in two years without taking a single snap in the Super Bowl. That's the um, that's the first always the first off season trope storyline is hey I took a look at this roster they're gonna run it back I think <laughs> always a trope I'm just saying they feel like almost like the first Bucks championship that's like okay this was just a moment in time and whatever and I think it, it is but it might be like a two year moment in time would not surprise me to see them back in the divisional round or something right back in the mix that's right. all I mean and what a, what a, what a contract like you said. Two years, fifty million. You're going to get his age forty three and forty four season, and then you get to re- reevaluate where Tom's at, uh, and you already perfect. got a ring out of it. It's a house. It's a house money year uh, for the Bucks. Of course, Tom Brady will never look at that, and he never has. All right. Before we go, 
we have a lot to do. We have a lot of news to catch up. There's on. so much news that's happened. So let's spin through it. <laughs> well put, Colleen. Let's, uh, let's, let's isolate that for the future, Erica, because Connie just sounded like Uh-oh. she was you know, laying on the couch uh, on an off day. You know, I'll leave it at that. That's kind of what happened. There's so much news, man. <laughs> All right, that was Colleen's. News. That was Colleen's like kind of like soft request to tap out of the rest of the show. I think it was like it was like it was her not running back on defense Solid and just kind of looking over at the minutes. coach. Right. All right, let's do some news. I want to speak directly to you and the city of Houston, um, so you can hear the words straight from my mouth. Um, I have sat down with the McNair family and I have asked them for my release, and we have mutually agreed to part ways at this time. There are the words of J.J. Watt, the iconic uh, playmaker that has been the heartbeat of the Texans' defense for a decade. First-round pick in 2011, now a free agent uh, after Watt and Houston agreed to mutually, or they mutually agreed to part ways. And, um, you know, this is an ongoing storyline, so this happened late last week. Um, Since then... Uh, according to ESPN's Ed Werder, approximately a dozen teams have ex- expressed interest in the former Defensive Player of the Year. That group includes the Steelers, Bills, Titans. Uh, Cleveland.com came out and uh, reported that Watt is seriously considering signing with the Browns, Mark Sessler. And uh, Watt tweeted just today uh, that free agency is, what was his word, crazy? Wild. Wild. How about that? J.J. Watt on the market. I mean, I would I the Browns side of it, let's just wait and see because I think he'd be seriously considering a number of teams. The Titans would be one way, um, and they're you know, they've shown interest to stick it to the Texans for a couple of years, um, which I would imagine might have something to do with where he'd land. They're a playoff Super Bowl type team too. I mean, my thing with it's more of a Texans story for me and I, I don't want to take us off course, but I can't imagine being if you're David Cully, the new head coach, um, if, you know this is what you're adopting, a team minus J.J. Watt. You're Lovey Smith, who, who is coming back to the NFL to take over a Texans defense, absent J.J. Watt. I love the idea of him going somewhere else. I, I, I get that he's um, the injury history is a concern, the age is a concern. You're not getting J.J. Watt 2014, but he can be still incredibly disruptive. And I, I love reading some stuff about the idea that it's not just on the edge. You could move them all over the line. And so a team like Cleveland, a team like Tennessee, that would be a huge need um, addressed for both of them. Uh, I just think it's an incredible scenery shift. And I'm kind of – I feel energy energy around watching J.J. Watt somewhere mm. else. I think you're going to get an, uh, an angry um, player with something to prove. He was good last year. I think people kind of sleep on where he's at because he was – you know, for three years, the best defensive player I had I had ever seen up until that point, and he's not that guy anymore. But I think he's probably a top ten to fifteen edge type player. It's just it's more about disruption and the run game and everything else. And he, you know, that it was strange because it just it's a bad. It makes the Texans look inept that he wanted out of there. They probably were gonna cut him anyways just because it felt like the time to do so and he was due so much money and he probably you know beat them to the punch and asked to be let go and so they said okay 
Um, but like, I think he can help a team. He's still he's still pretty good. I mean, but, it's so funny because JJ Watt. We all know that he loves attention, so this has to be like catnip for him if he is getting all of these offers. And you have his, you know, different guys from around the NFL recruiting him. It's like perfect for him. I'm sure he's just like basking in all of the all of the attention right now. And it's got to be so crazy for him to actually, for the first time in so long, have somewhat control over his career and where he goes and what happens. But I like the idea of him going to the Titans, especially obviously in the division, but wasn't Rabel on that, on that Texan staff and uh, John yeah. Robinson, he, he worked him out. Uh, he was on the network talking about how he worked out JJ Watt when he was the scouting director for the Patriots um, years ago and loved him. So you have so many different dots that you can connect, whether it's, going to play for the Packers because he'll be back in Wisconsin or his brothers are in Pittsburgh or maybe he wants to play against his bro- his brothers in that division with the Browns. So, you know, that's that's one thing I was thinking about. But also it's like, of course, J.J. Watt is going to, like, stir things up and be like, oh, it's wild. Like, I don't know if it's maybe <laughs> – maybe it's a ploy for him to get even more attention. Why not? Like, I loved, live it up now. I loved uh, him making the announcement from that log cabin that he was yes. so proud to show off on Hard Knocks a few years back. Yeah, the the Titans, that makes sense uh, to me, especially after John Robinson. We're going to get to John Robinson in a second. The GM whiffed so badly with uh, Vic Beasley and Jadavian Clowney last year. Uh, you bring in a ready-made playmaker like Watt. Maybe that addresses their pass rush issues, which is one of many issues they have on defense in Tennessee. But I, the Browns are the one I like the most, Mark. I, I think, like, he... He's a guy that everybody kind of wants to be connected to the Browns right now. They're hot, which is hard to believe, but that's just the way things are now. And want to be connected to the Browns getting over the hump. And especially if Olivier Vernon doesn't come back after blowing his Achilles, mm-hmm. he would just be such a great bookend um, wherever they line him up, really. But with the, he doesn't have to be the man there. That's Miles Garrett's job. And he could be maybe that missing piece on their defense, especially uh, – we saw in the playoffs that they could use some help in the middle there of their line. I, mean, I think they only have, if you look at their lineup right now, heading into the offseason in the draft, like five starters on defense, five or six. I mean, I think that there's need all over the place. And imagine like what it does to an offensive coordinator to have to deal with Miles Garrett, a healthy Miles Garrett, um, and JJ Watt on both sides. I mean, it's sort of a dream if you're if if you could make that happen. But he fits anywhere. Like, tell me, it's outside of the, you know, Green Bay is a great fit. Green Bay has a lot of money tied up in the two free agent edge rushers they brought in two seasons ago. But, I mean, tell me anyone that's going to say, no, I don't think we have room for any J.J. contender Watt, that has money. Mental cases. Yeah, any contender, yes. Other than mental, any contender that has some money to spare, because <laughs> everybody wants pass rush that they could generate without blitzing, and that's what he could bring. One other thing on my radar here, uh, J.J. Watt tweeted out a, like, happy anniversary to his wife with, I can't remember if it's a photo or a video, but it's of her eating wings in her wedding dress, which really just stopped me mm. in my tracks. Because, <laughs> Do you like, like that or not like that? I I think that she I would follow her anywhere. I mean, okay. anyone who is that brazen to eat wings in a wedding <laughs> dress, like I can't even eat anything for TNF without getting it all over me. I've had to wear <laughs> shirts backwards this year on the air because you of guys that would be thing. fast friends. I think that sounds to some shared interests. Yeah, yes. so she's uh, a professional athlete. You were a figure skater. Um, exactly. You it's know just like the that. golf courses of Pennsylvania well. 
The There's Poconos. a lot of connections. Uh, the history is the history very rich. Is rich. Um, the wedding, the wedding dress is an interesting thing because it's the most like it's as you know going through a wedding and being around people and that like it's such a huge element of the whole thing. Got to find the dress. Got to love the dress. Got to watch this reality show about the dress. Got to read about the dress. Got to buy the dress. <laughs> and then you wear the dress once, and then what do you do? So like, dumb. where's your wedding dress right now, Colleen? It's in a box at my parents' house, and I actually split my wedding dress at the wedding. Um, I think I ate too much too quick. Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't realize that I split it until, like, I took the dress off, and there was a giant, like, hole down the side. So, Ooh. you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe the dress should be in a trash can. <laughs> Erica? I just want to go on the record that if he's posting a video or photos of her eating wings, he's going to Buffalo. Oh, that's Whoa. not a bad landing spot either. Yeah, I thought Ricky Intriguing. was going to have a wedding dress take, and then she comes in with a thunder take that really uh, rattles the entire podcast. So that's just that's why she's great. I love those breadcrumbs. Yes, maybe Ricky's right. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, talk some quarterback heat. Russell Wilson. This this kind of came out of nowhere. I feel like um, he uh, spoke to reporters via Zoom last week and uh, said. You know what? I'm frustrated. I'm getting hit a lot. And I want to be involved with team personnel decisions to make this Seattle Seahawks team better and get us over the hump. Here's a quote. Like any player, you never want to get hit. That's the reality of playing this position. Ask any quarterback who wants to play this game. But at the same time, it's part of the job and everything else. I think that the reality is that I've definitely been hit. I've been sacked almost 400 times, so we've got to get better. I've got to find ways to get better too. And then, um, Greg, what what happens immediately after that is teams start picking up the phone. And good job by all those GMs. You want to kick the tires on a Hall of Famer like Russell Wilson, 32 years old, and say, hey, you looking to maybe get this guy out of town? Is he uh, is this relationship in trouble? And it sounds like that's not happening. But it's interesting that we're even talking about this right now. Greg. Well, it's because it's the intent of Russell Wilson to have us talk about it. You know, he's like a a more in prime version of J.J. Watt. This is what he wants. I mean, he's the one who is telling the country, I am interested in playing for another team. Like, that's how I take it. I don't think it's I don't think that's even connecting dots. Like Garofolo had the same response. He, he thought, you know, he said it on our air. It's like sounded like a guy who has one foot out the door and wants to see what happens. And to me, it doesn't come out of nowhere because he pulled the same stuff either last offseason or the offseason before. I can't remember when he went on Jimmy Fallon and he started talking about this, you know, kind of stuff. He wants people to be interested. And longtime Russell Wilson um, observers have noted, weirdly, if you want to know what Russell Wilson and, you know, more and his agent think, listen to Colin Coward, who's kind of been, I think, a Russell Wilson whisperer. For whatever reason... I don't know. That seems like a weird one to me. But he's kind of been ahead of the game. You know, he's kind of known what Russell Wilson's camp wants. And he's been leading this charge, banging the drums at the offensive line stinks. He wants to be part of the thing, wants to be part of the personnel decisions. And he's driving this. I don't think the Seahawks want to trade him. Like, well, I, be- also, I believe that part, but I, I, it's, it's really interesting to me that he's doing this. He has a no trade clause. Um, trading him would cost, this isn't really negotiable, like a $40 million dead cap hit. Um, 
He's also said in one of those same interviews he wants to be in Seattle forever. I think he was genuinely annoyed that they moved on from Brian Schottenheimer. Now, people feel different things about Brian Schottenheimer, but those two, for various reasons, were close. That puts a lot of pressure on them to appease him. But I, I don't know about this, like, quarterbacks being involved in personnel decisions. I think that there is something to be said. When you're a Deshaun Watson or you're Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes, and you're in that higher upper echelon of salary, and so much is being, you know, put your way, and you've got a Super Bowl window. I get the idea of weighing in, but, I mean, I don't really know what personnel decision means. For me, this thing is like I was driving around a little bit last week trying to kind of not get involved with football, and I heard Colin Coward going off on Russell Wilson and this whole thing, and I said, I could just do without this anti-drama. He's going nowhere. (laughs) He's not going anywhere. And what's an issue for the Seahawks and an additional challenge here is, Yes, their offensive line could absolutely use an upgrade, but they uh, just last summer traded their next two first-round picks for a safety in Jamal Adams. So that's going to make it a little bit tougher uh, to get the guys that will make an impact. You just have to trust your uh, decision-makers uh, to make the right moves. So. They've, they've tried, and he had a part in hiring uh, Shane Waldron, supposedly. So we, we never mentioned that, but the, the former Rams coordinator who is now going to be calling plays for Seattle. And supposedly Russell Wilson had some say in that too. So that would indicate the CX have no interest he's, in doing Waldron has never called plays um, in the NFL. Right. So that that's a bit of a mystery hire and we'll see how it works out. In other uh, star quarterback news, well, this man was once a star, Carson Wentz, uh, after suffering through a miserable uh, season with the Eagles getting benched, he is on the trade block and – Albert Breer, our former NFL media colleague, now with SI, believes that the Bears are the, quote, front runner for Wentz. The other team that has been bandied about as a logical landing spot because of uh, head coach ties is the Colts, uh, who have reportedly offered up two second-round picks. So uh, that's where we're at on that one, Connie. And, and I know we've talked about Wentz, and you're ready to move on, and the Eagles Nation seems to be ready to move on, if if they did indeed move him and not get a first round pick back, how would you feel about that? I mean, at this point, it just feels like the the market for him is not great because you know the the money involved and the tape that he put out there. I mean, who's going to jump at that situation? So I wouldn't. I, I I don't really expect them to get a lot, but they should get a lot. So it's almost like a lose lose situation. But I still feel like – I don't know what's – if the Bears – if that is actually going to be the landing spot for him. I feel like the Colts are still the most logical, you know, spot for him. And Garofolo, uh was on a little bit ago just saying that the Colts are, are still sort of at the top of the list and nothing is really imminent, but that something will be done relatively soon. So I don't know, like, nothing is imminent, but relatively soon – um, so maybe, uh, maybe like in the next two weeks we hear something, but we know that the Colts are not budging from that offer, and they don't really – that's not something that they do. Like, that's not Chris Ballard's style. They, they like their draft picks. They use them wisely um, most times, and they don't want to give them away. So I, I don't think that they will – I don't think they'll, they'll give anything up more for Wentz, and I don't My really favorite. see a lot of other teams doing it either. The, the line that I love the most out of this um, scenario that I read – uh, in preparation for the show was that Breer also mentions that the Bears coaching staff believes they can fix the mechanical issues Wentz developed in the years since his back and ACL surgeries. 
I am thinking in my mind and searching for a team I trust less to fix any mechanical <laughs> issues no. anywhere, whether it be in Wentz or a car broken down. Right. I mean, he got first of all, he gone. I mean, he's so gone. Are you? If they really offered two seconds, take it now before something right. happens. Are you kidding me? A first two seconds sounds like a miracle. I don't believe that because I think they would take it in a second. Carson, and Wentz I'm sure the, Howie Roseman would absolutely cash in on those picks and do the right thing with them. Like, oh, I, wow. right? Eagles I, right I get it. I get oh, it. Uh, he he's put up some some numbers in the past. But he didn't just struggle last year. He was like the worst quarterback yeah. in the league. He was he was it to get two picks seems like incredibly lucky, and they're gonna do it, and it's happening, and it just shows how dumb everyone was for killing the Eagles for um, only hiring a coach that needs to fix Carson Wentz because no one knew what they were talking about then. They clearly intended to trade him the whole time. They are going to trade him. If they get anything for him, they should be happy because, yes, it's all this dead money on their cap, but it actually doesn't you know, hurt their cap this year. It was a massive mistake, and they're admitting it, but get out of that mistake. And get out of well, the you- shot, Gonzo. You know, he's in the background Everyone there. says, hi, John. I'm just happy alone. Connie was. I'm just happy that uh, Gonzo was wearing clothes when he just entered the back of that shot. Um, I don't know. It'd be fine if he were wearing less. We could have seen. We haven't seen Gonzo seen his in a nude while. form. Yeah, that. I mean, that would have been interesting. Um, it would have been a pod high point. And for people who are like, wait a second, wait a second, the Lions got two first round picks for Matthew Stafford, so it, the Eagles should get at least a first round. No, it's totally different. Because the Rams had to pay to get Jared Goff off their roster, and that's why the, it, it led to premium draft picks. So don't don't. It's an apples to oranges thing. Even if if you see Stafford and Wentz is somewhat similar uh, in terms of play level. Um, all right, okay, keep moving. We got to keep moving here. All right, all right, all right. Get ben Roethlisberger. We got to get Colleen out of here before she. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, I can, I'm under the impression that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be there, one and done, uh, even though his boy Pouncey uh, and the other Pouncey of the, the Free Hernandez movement um, believe that, uh, you know, the story was that if Marquise retired, Ben would retire. Now the center's gone, so does Ben gone. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like Roethlisberger wants to play, but do the Steelers want him? Uh, Steelers GM Kevin Colbert said on Wednesday that – Pittsburgh has to, quote, look at this current situation, referring to the salary cap, when asked about uh, Roethlisberger being the 2021 uh, starting quarterback. Uh, so, you know, this, Mark, this continues. The Steelers can put the fire out at any time they want on this and say, oh, no, no, Ben's will find a way to make it work. He's a legendary player in our franchise and, you know, or some type of answer that just, just kind of tamps this down. But instead... If they're starting to build things up in a way that's reminiscent almost of what the Rams did with Jared Goff, different circumstances, but makes you wonder if really the Steelers are seriously looking, whether it's the draft or somebody out there on the market, to replace Ben Roethlisberger the way coming off a very disappointing end to the season. I mean, I think it's the money, it's the the age, it's last year's performance, it's the fact that you know, they swung and missed on Mason Rudolph, but Mason Rudolph was a potential heir had he really worked out. They've been looking for someone for a while. And I believe the quote, you know, by ownership was something along the lines of Ben Roethlisberger right now is still our quarterback, which is probably like how like NFL Network would speak about me. Like he is on our payroll. It's not like we're going to tell you a lot more we feel about this person. And if I'm Ben Roethlisberger, I'm kind of thinking, um, 
Yikes! That's not the review. Well, that's I'm usually for. a doomsday quote. By the I way, I think it is usually a doomsday quote. Here, that's what that's run what offices. It was. Right. I mean, I think everyone's just like they're probably like we have to see what other options become available. You know what else materializes, and you can't like flame openly flame Big Ben more than they did. Um, but they came pretty close. That's not how you treat someone that's been in your organization for a decade and a half, according to his people. I would imagine. Yeah, I and think he he's said gone. That he wants to come back, Roethlisberger. So it just seems crazy to me that that they that they wouldn't have him back if he wants to come back. And I know that they have to figure out the cap, and this is maybe just a way of being like, hey, you're going to have to like figure out a way to take a, a team friendly restructuring of some sort. But which that that's probably what this is. But it just it just seems insane because they were so close to to getting so far this year and that's what everyone's expectations were really high for them so it seems like at least with that defense they still have like they still have a good window i think um so it just seems like kind of crazy to to shut it right now with big ben they did also were were very close to losing six straight to the end of the season and uh, i think he's gone i mean i i kind of thought it already because the owner said he's gonna have to take a pay cut and you only you only ask a player to take a pay cut if you're ready to cut him, if you don't care if he's on your team ultimately next year. So the, they said that publicly. They said that publicly a month ago, and he was like, I'll take any pay cut I want. I'll play for free. And still they're coming out and saying, well, right. we're not really sure. Uh, I think he's gone, and I think the Steelers fans got to at least be – and I, I think they'll be happy he's gone based on the Steelers fans. I know, Not happy, but they're, I think, just ready to, to move on and maybe hope he retires because that'll help the cap a little more. Um, I think you've got to at least emotionally prepare your, yourself, Steelers fans, for the possibility of week one starting quarterback, Mason Rudolph. No, I mean, no. I if, you ever, so. if you ever want Dwayne Haskins. No way, dude. I don't know, man. He played, he played pretty well against the Browns. And when you hear the, what the Steelers brass says about Mason Rudolph and that they kind of are curious about him going into the final year of his rookie contract, I think they have always... Uh, had a higher belief in him, obviously, than anyone else, and he played well in that one game. Um, it was probably the best game by a Steelers quarterback all year, maybe. Uh, he actually did play pretty well in that game, to, to give him some credit. Um, but I, I don't think it's a good move. I'm just saying, be ready, Steelers. That was not, that's that's an absurd comment to say that was the best Steelers quarterback game all year. It was one year. of them. It was one all of them. year? Have you? Yes. They were really I watched the every game. The there weren't many, there weren't many right? good Big Ben games. That's all. Um, I, I see it as posturing ultimately I, I disagree I where you're coming from makes sense but I think it does remind me um uh, as a Yankee fan is the at the end of Derek Jeter's career the Yankees did something similarly where they basically hardlined him and they said you're not the same guy anymore we'd like to have you back but we're taking control of this and we're not going to give you some hometown discount to stay around and eventually Jeter bit down and took the contract and was bitter about it Ben is has be a that. different Ben has a different public stance here where he's basically putting himself out there and, and saying, I'll play for whatever you pay me. Please don't don't end my career this way. Um, I think he'll end up coming back at a, at a discount for the Steelers. Wouldn't but, it be uh, great if the Browns ended the big the Ben Roethlisberger era? Well, I think they already did it, Mark. We got to find I think out they officially. Did. I think they I did I think it. you're right because you look at those. <laughs> he was shedding tears on the sideline, and it wasn't just about that game. I will give you a sandwich bet. Anyone can take me up right now. Week one. 
Big Ben, starting quarterback, Houston Texans. I see it, and I see it already. Because <laughs> of course, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll oh. take you on that. All right, because I could see him cozying Nick Fortier, up in the, please the that lap one, of Jack Easterby. Big Ben me. and Jack Easterby, two peas in a pod for about six weeks until he's replaced by a rookie. Um. All right, we'll see how it all plays out. I already got a sandwich in my back pocket. Feeling good about it. Let's move on. More quarterback drama. ESPN, or excuse me, NFL, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports that there is, quote, legitimate and real trade interest involving Marcus Mariota, the Raiders' backup who had a tremendous game uh, late in the season, replacing Derek Gar. I think it was the Dolphins game, actually, that was blown hideously. I believe it was that week. I think it was, was it the Chargers. Game? Chargers, that's both, what it was. Yeah. Both I knew it was a primetime meltdown for the, for the Raiders, but he played incredibly well in that game. And uh, the Athletic reported that the Raiders prefer to trade Mariota instead of Derek Carr, uh, their incumbent starting quarterback. We just have to see how it plays out. Mariota was awesome um, in that one game. If they're able to uh, leverage that into some value in a trade, that would be a big win for the Raiders, I believe. I remember that game because it was, I don't know if it was, it was definitely like a Thursday night package game, but it wasn't. It was on a Thursday, or maybe it was, but doesn't matter. It was definitely against the Chargers in overtime, and Derek Carr, he got hurt, what was that, like on the Raiders' first drive, I think. Mm-hmm. So First or second was, drive, yeah. There was a couple people that were kind of like, well, Mariota, Mariota, Mariota didn't, uh, didn't start any games this year, but that was kind of like a start because he basically played that entire game, and when he came into that game – he led like an 86-yard touchdown drive, and it was he led four different scoring drives in that game. And I remember we were we were texting during that game because we were like, "Is is Mariota still good? Like, look at look at the way that he's able to use his legs still, and all of the things that we liked and and that were good about him when he was in Tennessee. He just he still has it, and I feel like that game really helped showcase his abilities that he still has. And I I think that, you know, maybe a spot, like, who knows? Maybe he ends up in New England. How how would that be? I could see it. I, this, this whole thing raised, raised my eyebrows though. Cause the car, cause the car inclusion in it is basically the part that raised my eyebrows. Like, okay, so you are willing to trade car. And then I thought there was this really strange article that came out like two weeks or a week before the Super Bowl in the Las Vegas Review Journal that kind of played around with where the sources were coming from, but basically was saying there was a lot of interest in Derek Carr just out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, like, who's, who's putting this out there? Because it doesn't really make sense for Derek Carr to be putting this out there. Mm-hmm. So it's in the Las Vegas Review Journal. It kind of makes sense that even though they kind of hid the sourcing away that it was like league insiders really think that David Carr is going to, Derek Carr is going to have a market, but it would take two first round picks to get him. It's like, it felt like a clumsy attempt for the Raiders to drum up some interest in Derek Carr is what it felt like on the outside to me. Mm. If Carson Wentz's value, top value is two second rounders, I would feel like that would be the ceiling. Right. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. Two first for Derek Carr. I do feel like the Raiders, I mean, you're entering into year four with Gruden. Um, Maybe he has his quarterback. I've always felt like they those two are a little bit um, oil and vinegar, although those things do go together, I guess. Um, uh, but I, I would just say that I, Derek Carr is this one quarterback. That Food is a blind to be, spot for Mark. Is yeah, it oil well, and no, water? I, 
Oil, and, oil and vinegar don't mesh though. It's still oil and vinegar like that, is awesome. The brown that spot in the middle, like that's the vinegar part, right? Put that on so. a, a on a hoagie. <laughs> oh my god, that's the only way to have a hoagie. I mean, that's Jeez. like an actual that dressing, sucker. so it it does go together. I know, but it's set well. It visually separates is all I'm saying, but that's not really helping me with my point either. But I, I think the car just feels like a quarterback that you have to constantly kind of um, prop up his feelings and manage. He gets so stung by stuff that it's like it feels like a a bit laborious. I, I yeah. I wouldn't hate a fresh start somewhere. Do else. Do something, Raiders. We're always talking about you. Like, ooh, watch out! They could do something crazy, but you never do it. Give us something here, Raiders. Do mm. something crazy. You be uh, the team that gives up way too much for Carson Wentz. How about I that? I mean, they in in their defense, yep. they were in on Tom Brady uh, last offseason, and Tom Brady was like, "I'm not going out west." You're right. So they, you know, and Derek Carr did go in the media and say that that was something that gave him um, some additional fire and blah blah blah. You know, the Raiders are interesting in the sense that they have Gruden on that ten year deal, and it was a deep rebuild when he took over the team. And it seemed to be going in the right direction. But the, that December nosedive this year in particular, I thought, was um, speaking of eye, eyebrow raising. To me, it's like they're entering into tricky terrain now because the third year, that was where they were supposed to kind of get to the playoffs and, and really show growth. Instead, they ended up exactly where they were at the end of year two of the regime. So now we enter year four. And if you don't get results in year four, it's like, geez, we're almost halfway through this insane contract with this guy. And are we going anywhere with this dude? So this is a huge year for the Raiders uh, for that reason. All right. Just a, a quick note. We're only about 16 quarterbacks away from covering every quarterback situation <laughs> in the NFL. There's more, right? Where we speed it up. We have a, speed it up. We, you're right. We have, a, we have a Taylor uh, Heineke. So uh, much news. news. Of course. Uh, but first, uh, I want to hit on uh, a juicy little nugget. Uh, from it is coming up on draft season now, and we we obsess over draft picks and who's the first round pick and this and then the fan base goes nuts and and views them as this guy a savior for whatever position he plays. Well, the Titans used their first round pick on Isaiah Wilson, an offensive tackle that they thought they could view as a linchpin on their line. Man, John Robinson had a pretty rough uh, 2020 offseason, uh, and Wilson barely played last year. Went on the COVID list twice. Got a DUI, um, and coming off that, uh, you now have John Robinson going out in the media um, today and saying this. Yeah, I think um, you know. Again, we we put him on the on the reserve uh, non football illness uh, list. There, uh, I haven't spoken to him since since that list got put out. You know, I think uh, so. I think you know he's going to have to make a determination. Um, if he wants to do everything necessary to play pro football, um, and, and and that's going to be you know on him. Um, so um, I know what the expectation level is here. It's no different than any other player on the football team. You know we have a certain standard uh, that we want players uh, to prepare and and, and um, perform at professionally uh, and as people. And um, a lot of work to be done there. That's really bad uh, because. He was placed. Wilson was placed on the reserve non-football illness list on December 9th. So for the, the team to not even be in contact with him for this amount of time, a reigning first-round pick, uh, this is heading towards all-time bus territory. And he didn't even. There wasn't really clarity on why he was placed on that list either. It sounded like he was just placed on it because they were done with him. Like right. it, well, they, ne- they never said he had an illness. Yeah. 
I mean, I love that. I found that were sorry, Mark, that were no. uh, like that, that jumped out at me. Um, Robinson said that we did a lot of work on him leading up to the draft. The player that was here in the fall was not the player we evaluated. Well, He's going to have to make a determination if he wants to play pro football. That's on him. And then Mike Rabel told the Tennessean, I can't comment on Isaiah. Um, he said that I wouldn't even begin to be able to eloquently have an answer for you. So clearly <laughs> things are not going well. They're pissed. They're, they're epically pissed because they, I think if you – read between the lines and it's not hard he's making them look really bad it's yeah it's showing needs- that they failed in the evaluation and now this guy is essentially stealing money from the team and that reflects directly on the people that were responsible for bringing him into the building the first time he got corona i mean it's attached to the fact that the police had to break up an off-campus party at tennessee state university where he was frolicking around um, you know, untethered during training How camp. We were just blowing off steam, me and Isaiah, uh, that night. Right. And like John Robinson mentioned, you know, they loved him. They did love him in the pre-draft process. And that's an old HR thing. Um, when an employee goes south, where is the person I interviewed? And that's what they're saying. This is not the human being we thought we'd get. John mm. Robinson said he was impressed with um, even his laugh, that he laughed like Andre the Giant. Uh, during the old the old research part of this, but I think Danny I saw that. He, what is that? Why why would that make him more draftable? That was an absurd. I mean, he's, thing he I laughs like a gigantic <laughs> giant. <laughs> this like is a, what Andre the Giant laughed like. If you don't know, <laughs> <laughs> it was well, he wound up like laugh. Jose Luis Rivera. If we're not at this point, troubling. Right. Hey, I mean, Nobody's I, I feel it. anymore. I feel him. Like I, you know, I used to be in a hiring position. I made some some bad hires. Even as you know, as a group, we've made some. We made a bad. Couple bad what do you what are you saying? What? We don't need it, Greg. We don't need it right now. <laughs> For the We're auxiliary just HR to stay podcast. afloat right now, Greg. Uh, finally, in the news, yes, Taylor Heineke. Speaking of having one game and a change, more quarterbacks. Changing how? <laughs> go away, Ricky. Changing how things um, and how you're portrayed. Heineke went from a practice squad quarterback in December to a guy that was slinging it throw for throw with Tom Brady in the wild card round of the playoffs for the Washington football team. The team lost that game, of course, uh, but it led to Heineke signing a two-year $8.75 million contract. Just 500 k is guaranteed, so it doesn't mean that Washington paid out the butt uh, for this guy off one game, but it does show you, uh, butt spilled with one T there, that Sometimes one big game can change your life, and it might have done that for Taylor Heineke. Yeah, they might they might have to cut Alex Smith, which is awkward because I think if Alex Smith wants to continue his career, it, you know, might not be there. But it is amazing if you think about the Bulls' Assange stand to circle mm-hmm. it all the way back around. Nicely you done. know, Bulls faced four quarterbacks in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Taylor Heineke. I, unquestionably, the the best performance came from Heineke. It wasn't That's even true. it wasn't even close. He was really good in that game. That the diving touchdown uh, that he had briefly made you think Washington could do something insane in that game. Uh, and he played. He was nails in that game. Hmm. I, was, I mean, that's I the kind reading, of game. Sorry. I keep cutting you off. Damn it. Uh, no, I was it, reading this like crazy article and now I'm taking us down a rabbit hole, but you're going to come into the rabbit hole with me that I went down this morning um, reading about Heineke. I was reading about this game 
that he had at Old Dominion where he threw for 730 yards. Did you guys know Pretty about good. this? Because I did not know. And I end up doing all of these like dumb deep dives on prospects around combine time and draft. And this I did not know. He In that game, he had like 79 attempts, which is just wild. 730 yards. How about we see well, that in this the NFL, is why, huh? This is why some people are, oh, why don't you watch college football? That's why I don't watch college football. Yeah. I mean, I when you're, you're you're playing, it's like, oh yeah, Penn State is playing you know, Our Lady of the Worthless Miracle, uh, <laughs> you know, on Saturday afternoon. It's like, what? Like, who cares? You play half your schedules against teams that are at your level, and then everything's this like big money grab playing these smaller schools, and it's just like a total slaughter. I don't know. Well, I think yeah. Old Dominion has taken you off their mailing list as of <laughs> as of today, Dan. And some people ask, like, why are Colleen's binders so full? It's because of information like that, right. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Just, she's just st- stuffing <laughs> the them with that. Stuff. Exactly. All right. Um, Kwan Short, AJ Bouye, and uh, Boye, and Tyrell Williams among the early cuts for veterans as we head towards the start of a new league year and a salary cap that. Uh, it will be less. I don't know if it's official yet. I think around 180 million is what they were saying. Um, and there will be more veterans that end up on the chopping block here uh, as teams try to get under the cap and reset for 2021. All right. No Wes. This is a new phase for the show. Really sad. Um, but we're just going on and, and talking talking ball and uh, doing what we do. Uh, but please, 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 the GoFundMe um, with everything, every every cent uh, co- collected by the GoFundMe uh, goes to Lakeisha and Lincoln. And unbelievably, and thank you, by the way, to Greeby, who's one of our Matthew Graber, who who um, organized this and, and was in direct contact with Lakeisha when Wes was battling cancer for the second time, uh, setting this up. And he also has done great, great work on the subreddit. Uh, bringing fans together over there. He organized this, and it is closing in on $260,000 raised by awesome. uh, uh, people who love the West and um, are trying to support his family in this um, really difficult time. Over um, 5,500 donors and, uh, yeah, over a quarter million dollars raised <laughs> for Lakeisha and Link, and that is awesome. Keep it up. Let's go 500. Let's go half a mil. Why not? I was thinking we should have like a roast maybe. I was originally thinking it should just be a roast of Dan Hansis um, that goes to this like West Fund. Um, but then I thought maybe we should open it up to everybody else and then maybe the listeners get involved. So I'm just spitballing uh, right now live and uh, just figured I'd throw it out there. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I would participate. I, I feel like you guys would. And um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really like – I would be good at that. I don't know if I would handle that well. I think, Colleen, you have a way better temperament for being roasted, so I think uh, maybe the roast should be toward you. You get okay. that like look from Dan like 20 minutes in where he's like not as pleasant to be there as he thought and not enjoying some of the slights, not sure if they're real or not. So this was exactly my thinking because originally I was like, it should definitely be a roast of Dan. And then I was like, mm, I don't know if Dan would be good with that, but Greg definitely would be able to handle it. So let's definitely open it up to Greg. And I was like, but then there's so much material with Mark too and Ricky. So it should just be everybody. <laughs> get real, get very real. 
Um, all right, so that's that's one idea. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna continue to like uh, figure out and it's think never about ways. Colleen. Yeah. I know. <laughs> exactly. Not in a million years. Um, uh, to you know, of course, remember Wes, and uh, we will. We haven't started putting it together yet, but it's definitely something we are um, going to do. We're going to have a kind of a separate show from. Uh, the standard podcast week where we'll be remembering Wes and our favorite moments um, with Wes uh, during the, you know, thousand plus episodes over the years. And we'll do, you know, kind of talks, uh, talk about, um, talk about him and then play some clips that that's coming down the line. And I think that could end up being something we do uh, on an annual basis uh, because like Greg said, Wes is gone here. Um, uh, in uh, from this earth, but he's he, his spirit is with the show and with everyone that loved and cared about him, both uh, personally and family and friends, and also the listeners. So that's it. Um, any final thoughts, Colleen? Uh, great work here. You, you've done it again, and you've said it all. Thank you. I guess there's nothing left for me to say then, if I've said it all. And I did like every time, every time you accidentally stepped on Mark. I thought I Mark was really a professional, a hundred percent of the time. Sorry, Mark. We're gonna get better at this. It's this is the way it is. I mean, I would say at least we're offering a little bit less of a devastating time delay than you had to deal with on most of your TNF broadcasts. So. Every single show I did, besides this one, when the, the 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 few times that I was on the podcast during the season were the only times that I was doing a show that did not have at mm. least a three to five second delay. So <laughs> yeah. it is really such a joy to talk to people without like laughing all over dumb jokes that happened like 15 minutes ago. And <laughs> I do that anyway, but still, this was uh, this is really, really nice. So it's great. Yeah, you really lost a lot of like the Michael Irvin has like a piece of cracker on the corner of his mouth humor with that delay. You know, he yeah, just yeah. just gets. I lost need this wash. pandemic to end. This Get is me the, out of see, this box. It, it took, You're tiny. We took, <laughs> well done. It took Save an hour. It took an hour and sixteen minutes, but we finally got the the time delay talk that the listeners really <laughs> they were looking for. Um, all right, we'll be back on Friday, so please uh, come on back. And yes, as I said, the GoFundMe is out there. Um, it's pinned atop my Twitter page, and I'm sure all the everyone else on the show has been uh, plugging that, so you could find it anywhere. Um, uh, and uh, we love you, and we miss you, Wes. Um, all right, this is it. Dan Hans is signing off for the Quiet Storm, the old boss, the tiny box trapped in a tiny box within a tiny box. So many boxes. <laughs> and Ricky Hollywood. Until Friday. You go into your shower feeling tired. 
But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.